Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. So this morning we're going to do something kind of novel. We're going to talk about Jesus. That's not novel. If you're visiting with us, that's something we do all the time. It's all about Jesus. And so when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the most important, the most significant person in the history of the world. The name Jesus means God saves. So Jesus is our Savior. And Christ means the anointed one of God. You see, it's not his last name. And his resume is this. For the first 30 years, he was working a job as a carpenter, never traveled more than a few hundred miles from home, never married nor had children, never held a political office, never ran a large company, didn't make a lot of money, never wrote a book, but he is the most influential, significant person ever. Our calendar is divided around Jesus Christ, B.C. before Christ, and A.D. Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. And when it comes to Jesus, he has this most important question for all of us to answer. Who do you say I am? And there is no shortage of contradictory answers to that question. Let me start with the cults. If you ask a Jehovah Witness, they will say Jesus is not the creator God. He is a created being. He is actually the archangel Gabriel. You ask a Mormon, they will say he is the half-brother of Lucifer. That ultimately he is a man who became God, and we can be like him. We can become a God and own our own planet and our wife be eternally pregnant. I'm not sure why that would be heaven for them. You ask a Christian scientist, which is really interesting because there's nothing Christian or scientific about it, but they will say that Jesus Christ is not God. Well, what about other religions? Ask a Muslim, Jesus is a prophet, but inferior to the supreme prophet, Muhammad. You ask someone from the Baha'i faith, they would say that Jesus is an enlightened man, but not the God-man. You ask a Hindu, Lots of different variations on their interpretation, but most would say that Jesus was an enlightened holy man, but not the holiest man who ever lived. Ask a Buddhist, Buddha was more enlightened than Jesus. Everyone has an opinion on the question that we're asking, who is Jesus? And you're going to hear today from a man named Paul in a very phenomenal passage from First from the Colossians first chapter, packed full of Jesus' stuff. Now, when Paul started, the first few decades of his life, he was not a believer. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He opposed, arrested, and murdered followers of Christ until he got converted and he became a pastor. Just so you know, my name has always been Paul. But when he's writing this letter, he's writing it from a prison in Rome. Why is he in a prison in Rome? Because he keeps telling people about who Jesus is. 
So here in these nine verses in Colossians 1, 15 to 23, nine verses, but ten big ideas about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the image of God. Here's how Paul says it. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So God is invisible, supernatural, unseen. But Jesus makes the invisible God visible. The unknown God becomes known through Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14, 9, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This concept of image, it's like a mirror that reflects an exact representation. This morning I got up and looked in the mirror and it was shocking. I'm not 35 anymore. And my bangs went to be home with the Lord a long time ago. <laughs> and that was in the dark. I mean, it was sad. It was... But that mirror accurately reflects my image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is like a mirror that's reflecting the very character of the Father. Jesus is love is the Father's love. Jesus' truth is the Father's truth. Jesus' forgiveness is the Father's forgiveness. So everything we need to know about God is seen in the person and work of Jesus. Number two, Jesus is ruler over all creation. He is, Paul writes, the firstborn over all creation. Now, when we hear this language of firstborn, we tend to think of birth order as in Jesus was the first man born, and then God picked him to be his son? Some false teachings declare that. Well, sometimes in the Bible, firstborn literally does mean first in the birth order of a family. But other times when the Bible speaks of firstborn, it means one who occupies first position, first rank. This is referring to preeminence and prominence. It's not referring to the fact that Jesus is created because we'll see in just a moment he is actually the creator. Here's what it means. It means Jesus is first. Uh, above any and everything else, Jesus is first. That means he's first in our relationships. He's first in our identity. He's first in our family. He's first in our finances. He's first in our businesses. Nothing gets straightened out until Jesus is in first position. And it's from that framework then, once Jesus is established as number one, that Paul can write the rest of Colossians and telling those Christians, helping them to deal with sin and, and Satan and how to, how to love your family, your spouse, and your kids. And all of that happens as a result of having Jesus in first position. Number three, Jesus is creator of all. Well, this is unbelievable. You know, there's lots of discussion revolving around the debate of when or where did creation come from. Supposedly educated people will say the world comes from nothing. Now, I'm not very educated. I went to public school. But I have never seen nothing 
make a lot of things of you. When we look at this world, we see a designer at work. Verse 16, should say 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Paul breaks everything into two categories, visible and invisible. Things that you can see and touch, things that you can't see and are unable to touch. So Paul is talking about everything in this world. Everything that we can see, colors, beauty, the majesty of creation, including you and me. And everything that is unnatural, spiritual, invisible. All things seen and unseen. Jesus rules over it all. That means you do not live an independent, autonomous life. You came from God. You'll return to God. You'll give an account to God, but you belong to God. Anything other than that is an illusion. Number four, Jesus is eternal. That means there are a lot of candles on his birthday cake, right? He is without beginning and without end. And some false teachings will say that Jesus is a good man, but not the God-man. That he didn't exist eternally. That he didn't exist until he came in the womb of his mother, Mary. That is, in fact, not true. Jesus is the eternal God who entered into human history. But his birth through the womb of Mary was not the beginning of his existence that was the beginning of his existence coming into human history. Paul says it this way. He is before all things. Whatever exists, Jesus was before that. Jesus is not created. Jesus is creator. Everything that was created was created by him who was before all that was made. This is one of the clearest statements in all of Scripture that Jesus is eternal. And the good news for us, knowing that Jesus is eternal, is that he has gone to prepare an eternal place for us. That he knows what lies on the other side of the grave. And we can trust him in our moment of greatest need that when we exit this life, we enter into eternal life and there will be the one waiting for us who lives in eternity. Fifth, Jesus is the one who holds it all together. Not only did Jesus make this world, but he sustains this world. There is a theory called deism which says God made this world, but he's like an absentee landlord who abandoned his creation. So creation now just runs on natural laws, but God himself is not personally active. There's a version of this that gets a lot of playtime in our culture. It's been described as moralistic, therapeutic deism. And it was first researched by a sociologist named Christian Smith, this is a view of God who basically is like a dad who walked out on his family. He birthed them, but now has nothing to do with them. 
And that false image gets projected onto God. And the moralistic, therapeutic part is all God wants is you to do good and be good. That's all that matters. This is not how the Bible presents Jesus and the work of Jesus. Jesus Christ is not only creator, but in him all things hold together. How do all things hold together? By Jesus. By his active, intentional, powerful presence. So everything that God made is sustained by the involvement and handiwork of this loving, living, reigning, creating, saving, sustaining Jesus. It may feel that the world at times is about to explode and fall apart, but just because it's out of our hands doesn't mean it's out of God's hands. His hands can hold together what our hands cannot hold together. So if your life is falling apart, give it to Jesus who holds it together. If your marriage, if your family is breaking apart, give it to Jesus who can hold it together. What are you not trusting Him with? And then Jesus is the head of the church. Exactly the way Paul puts it is he is the head of the body, the church. You know, today it's pretty fashionable to be anti-church. In fact, one very popular rationale folks say is, I'm against organized religion. Well, here at Benton Heights, we love the church because the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is devoted to the church in a covenantal way of love. This doesn't mean that the church is perfect. It's that a perfect Jesus will, in time, perfect his church. And as the head of the church, Jesus is over the church. This verse even refers to the church as Jesus' body. You know, one of the main metaphors for the church in all of Paul's writings is a body. That we're all parts of a body that work together to love and serve others in and on behalf of Jesus. But all the directives of that body come from the head, just like it does for us. What makes me move my arm right now? <laughs> my mind is telling me this is what you're going to do. The directives for the body come from the head. Jesus is the head of the body, the head of the church. Tremendous problems happen when this simple truth is overlooked. I am not the head of the church. The staff is not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. Our goal is not to argue and fight over what we want, to pray, but to pray and seek what He wants. And here's why this is so important. Because all too often, consumerism has supplanted Christ in the church. And that happens when we pursue church as a strictly business model. A business provides goods and services for the customer. And if you've ever had any retail experience, finish this thought. The customer is always right. So when the church sees itself as a business and sees you as its customers, 
then you come in and say, well, look, we don't like that part of the Bible, so let's not talk and study those parts of the Bible because the customer is always right. Okay, so we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to offend you. But here's the thing. You and I are not the customer. He is. And if we're bent on not offending anyone, then we will stop teaching the whole truth of God and the whole word of God. Number seven, look at what the Apostle Paul says here. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. What is Jesus say, What is Paul saying? Jesus is alive. Why isn't this on the news every single night? This doesn't get old. We get so impressed by what other people do and so negligent about what Jesus has done. He got out of the grave. This is not natural. This is not commonplace. This doesn't just happen, just so you know. You know, some people are like, yeah, 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 every Easter when I come, I hear about the resurrection. Tell me something new. <laughs> no. It's the same awesome news every single day and every single Sunday. That's what Sundays are supposed to be. They are little Easter's. Jesus is alive. There is nothing greater. There is no better news. You know, it would be like next time I see Lori and she says, I love you. And I go, I know, tell me something new. <laughs> I never tire of hearing that. And you know what else doesn't get old is hearing this. Jesus is alive. No other religion in the world no other philosophy, no other spirituality has a God who came to this earth, stooped to our level, died on our behalf, but didn't stay dead. You know, what drives a Muslim to Mecca, to Medina? To those holy places, it all has to do with dead Muhammad. What about in the Buddhist religion? Well, there's a dead Buddha. The Jewish faith wants to hold on to Abraham. Well, he too is not living. But you go over to Israel. You try to find Jesus, huh? You can't. There is no dead Jesus whose tomb you go to. Now, they take you to a place, I've been there, that's a cave that possibly could be where he was laid. He's not there. Next, Jesus is fully God. This is huge. Or who your God is, that's the most important question. Of all the questions you're ever going to be asked, who is your God? You have to answer that. You may hear this argument in college. You may just hear it among, among others. Jesus never said he was God. 
Yes, he did. That's why he killed. That's why they killed him. He fed a lot of people. They didn't kill him for that. He loved being with children. They didn't kill him for that. You know why they killed him? Because he kept saying he was God. In John chapter 10, the Jews pick up stones to kill Jesus, and he asks them the question, for which miracle are you about to stone me? They reply, it's not for one of your miracles, but it's for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So they killed him on a cross. And Jesus came back. He said, I told you so. Here is one of the clearest verses about Jesus. Not only did he say he was God, but his followers say he was God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Jesus. So Jesus is God entering human history, the eternal God entering into time and place, the creator entering into creation. So when people tell you that basically all religions are the same, no, not in regard to Jesus especially. We believe he is fully God and fully man. We believe that it begins with Jesus and ends with Jesus and everything in the middle is all about Jesus. He's not just a good man, he's the God-man. Jesus is reconciler. What happens is that we have divided painful relationships, relationships that get strained and awkward and they're not reconciled. And it also happens this way between us and God. God is holy, we are unholy. God created us for a relationship with Him, and we have rejected Him, we have rebelled against Him, and as a result, our relationship with Him is severed, and it needs to be reconciled. So Paul tells us this in verse 20, and through Him, that is Jesus, He reconciles to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. We do not have peace with God. We do not experience the peace of God because we have declared war on God. That's what sin is. Sin is our declaration of war on God. So we have this acrimonious, unreconciled relationship with God, and the only way that peace can happen is that the events of that transgression, the events of those sins are dealt with because the wage of sin is death. So God sends His Son, and He turns enemy into family. Jesus paid the price. His blood shed on the cross. And at the cross, it's all about God loving those who hate Him, making us His family. So you are no longer primarily identified by race or culture or ethnicity or gender, but you are made a new people in Christ if you belong to Jesus. And finally, number 10, Jesus is the only Savior. There is no plan B. There is no other 
option, no other path, no other alternative. Paul ends the passage this way. Once you are alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What Paul is painting here is the picture of a, like a before and after of meeting Jesus. So he says, before meeting the Lord Jesus, you had a problem in your, in your head. Because your mind was hostile to God, it's resisting God. God would say things to you like, don't argue with me, just listen to me. And the problem in your mind would lead to a problem in your heart. You don't love God, you don't seek God, you don't pursue God, you don't trust God, and that leads you to what he said in verse 21, evil behavior. So much so that we'd get to a point in our lives and say, well, I don't think that's evil. And it just shows how far off we've become. We didn't even know something was evil. And we think God should just adjust His standards because we've arrived intellectually and spiritually. This is all the before you meet Jesus. Then when you meet Jesus, you get a new mind. You're no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed in the renewing of your mind. You start to think differently. You start to think differently about Jesus, about yourself. You start to think differently about God's Word. So to summarize all of this is the reality that one day we will see Jesus forever. And if you could see Jesus right now, you would not see some humble, peasant, homeless man hearing others say to him, crucify him, crucify him. If you could see Jesus as he really is right now, he would be seated on a throne, high and exalted, worshipped by angels and saints from every nation, just as declared in Revelation. And in chapter 4 of Revelation, no longer is the chant, crucify Him, crucify Him, but 24-7, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Right now, Jesus is not in humility. He's in glory. He's not lacking anything. He is ruling over everything. And one day, there will reside in the center of it all a throne. And on it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. 
We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.